The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Thanks again for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I think I've got some exciting guests for you to meet. Our first guest will be none other than trainer William Buff Bradley. That's right. You most probably remember him most from Eclipse Award winner Groupie Doll. But let's not forget his millionaire homebred brass hat, who now has a second career. And now he is going into the Indiana Derby with a very interesting horse called The Player. I hope you're able to Google some pictures of this horse, The Player. You'll find out why he is uh, quite the character as we talk to Buff Bradley. And our handicapper is none other than national champion handicapper Michael Baychak, who's been with us before, very well-versed sharp guy, and just played his way into the Saratoga tournament last week. He also hit the pick five at Santa Anita. So we bring you nothing but the best cappers here on Winning Ponies. What will we be looking at? Well, we're going to go to the Yellow Ribbon Handicap at Del Mar. That's right, the gates open on Friday at Del Mar. Then we're going to go all the way to the other side of the country. We've got a grade one mile and a quarter, the Delaware Handicap. And then uh, in the middle of the country, Indiana Grand is having a huge night, headed up by the Indiana Derby and the Indiana Oaks. And that horse I just mentioned, the player, is in the Indiana Derby. Hope you uh, came over to Winning Ponies at some time before the weekend when we had all those big races in New York and across the country. The easy win forms pulled down some huge winners again from coast to coast. Our biggest win of the week was at Santa Anita on the 4th of July. The fireworks went over. If you pulled down our sheets and played the $1 super key, it paid $7,314. On the other side of the country, Gulfstream Park, a $1 super high five, paid $3,948. And let's not forget our friends in upstate New York. We also give easy win forms on Finger Lakes. It was July 7th, a $1 super, paid $1,956. Come on over to winningponies.com. we got the winners sitting here waiting for you. Well, looks like we finally know what Nyquist is going to be doing next. The Kentucky Derby winner will launch the second half of his 2016 campaign in the Grade 1 $1 million Haskell Invitational at Monmouth Park. That's going to be contested on July 31st. So uh, Paul Redham told Doug O'Neill, point for that. He's doing well. He uh, had a strong Five furlong work on Monday, O'Neill caught him in 59 seconds flat. 
Luckily, wherever you are, if you can't make it to a track, you will be able to see it. It will be televised live by NBC as part of the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series. It's a win-in-your-in race. So Nyquist, who won the first eight starts of his career prior to the Preakness, will be going in the Haskell. And what about the other big boy? Well, California Chrome went in company at Los Al. July 9th, his final drill before shipping south to Del Mar for the July 23rd San Diego Handicap. That's a grade two. And uh, he he worked in company. Of course, uh, the five-year-old son of Lucky Pulpit uh, ran a little bit flat in his workout prior to that. But finally, um, when Diggy Gladney, his exercise rider, let him go, he took off. They credit him with a mile in 139-3, and three. and uh, so it looks like he is sitting on ready for that big race, and hopefully I'm um, going to try to get uh, Alan Sherman, Art's son, on the show uh, prior to uh, that uh, return to racing. Now, there is a newly created race called the Princess of Silmer Stakes, and it looks like Catherine Sophia will be heading to parks for that race the 150,000 three-year-old fillies at a mile, and uh, it should set her up very well for uh, races down the road, and I'm sure she'll be pointed to some big ones uh, at uh, Saratoga. So, uh, And also the $1 million cotillion at Park, so it would be a great prep race over that strip. Now, a lot of you are going to sharpen your handicap pencils because Delmar opens this Friday home to great racing and great racehorses. As you know, uh, that's where Triple Crown winner American Pharaoh began his career. He actually lost his debut, but then reeled off his consecutive wins. Uh, Delmar hosted both champion two-year-olds in 2015, and that would be Nyquist and the two-year-old Philly Songbird, champions Beholder and Stellar Wind also raced at the track last year. Of course, there's been many, many greats. We're talking Seabiscuit, Native Diver, Gato del Sol, Landalusi, Princess Rooney, Althea, Cigar, Silver Charm, Zenyatta, Shared Belief, and the list goes on. So headed to where the surf meets the turf this year, we believe it will be California Chrome, Beholder, Nyquist, and Dortmund. Very much looking to see his comeback. They're going to have six grade one races among 43 stakes. Well, our friends down at Ellis Park are reaching out and lending a helping hand. They're staging a thoroughbred aftercare day this weekend on July 17th, uh, raising awareness for the industry, caring for horses after their career is over. I think it's great that they're doing this, and I would like to see more tracks do it. Uh, It's going to bring attention to the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and uh, the joint venture with the PDJF. They'll have uh, signed goggles by the riders available for donation. The fifth race is named after Louisville-based Papa John's Pizza, and Papa John's has given them a check for 24000 So uh, great to see Ellis Park supporting the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. <laughs> Robbie Alvarado captures two graded races, and he wins Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week Award. Uh, he left, as you know, we talked... Uh, last week about him staying at Ellis Park, but he decided to 
go to Chicago for Millions Preview Day, and that helped him win a pair of graded stakes races. So congratulations to Robbie Alvarado. Uh, let's take a look here at uh, also we had the big phasing Tipton sale this week. They wanted to sell Donnie Gall Moon, but he did not meet his reserve of $1.6 million. This was at the Horses of Racing Age sale. They had several uh, separate sales down there. Three-year-old son, Malibu Moon, last out, winner of the Betfair Pegasus Stakes, the grade three at Monmouth Park. So he will stay with his current connections, Donnie Gall Racing. Now, they tried to sell Storm and Lucy, the grade one winner, um, in the ring, but she did not bring the $650,000. But after the sale, there's always deals to be made. $575,000 was a private sale, and it looks like she is going to be bred to Frankel and probably eventually end up in Australia. So that's where Stormy Lucy is headed. And uh, it was a beautiful son of Curlin that lit up the board in the yearling portion of the sale. It was purchased for $475,000. Let's move on to uh, some of last week's racing, which was just sensational at Belmont Park in particular. Uh, Kicking off uh, the graded stakes races, it was the victory ride. And you're going to hear more from this horse, Copa. Now, Copa's by a $2,500 stud, yes, by Jiminy, down in Florida. But, boy, this must have been one fast and good-looking filly. She brought 210000 at the sale, went off 4-5 to five at a slight lead into the lane, and just a hand ride. Joe Talamo going across country to ride. Again, that was the grade 3 victory ride. Then it was the grade 3 Dwyer stakes, and getting the job done, Fish Trap Road. Sent off at 3-1 to one under Luis Saez. Rated in fourth, was third into the turn, went outside and just exploded at a mile and eighth. That is the first black-type winner for Sire, Trap Shot. Moving on now to the uh, Belmont Derby. Very interesting race. We talked about Aiden O'Brien shipping into New York for some of these big purses. And Aiden O'Brien got the job done with the Irish-bred Duville. Uh, sent away at 6-1, to one, ran in second for about a half, but, boy, it was a leisurely half. 50-1, and one, put the rest of the field to sleep, took the lead in the stretch, and just held on by a neck by a late-charging Highland Sky. In the third spot was Beach Patrol. On to the Suburban Handicap, a legendary race, and it went to FNX. That's right, trained by Jim Jerkins, ridden by Mike Smith. FNX now becomes the first horse to win back-to-back Suburbans since Devil His Due. Ironically, Devil His Due was ridden by Mike Smith and trained by James Jerkins' father, Alan Jerkins. In the second spot, returning to his uh, old speed, the five-year-old Sam Rat, uh, who only ran once in 2015, looks like he's back on his toes. So Sam Rat second. And then the third spot was Moob Tahij, his latest claim to fame, second to California Chrome in the Dubai World Cup. 
Moving on then to the Belmont Oaks. May have been the performance of the week. Catch a glimpse. She is awesome. This three-year-old filly only lost her maiden race. First start at Saratoga in the slop. Since then has gone on the grass and is undefeated. Now has eight wins from nine starts. Catch a glimpse. Unbelievable. Just a fantastic filly in the second spot. Time in motion. And third was Coolmore, but she got the lead under Florent Jaroux and went from flag fall to that's all. And then in the Belmont sprint, it was A.P. Indy who punched through a gap with Joe Bravo and got home. First graded win for A.P. Indy. Okay, down in Delta Downs where they had the big quarter horse races, I want to thank my friend Pete Aiello for helping me out. He nailed two of the three races, but the big race... The uh, Berwick Futurity with a purse of $690,000 upset time. It was Water Girl B, $86.20. In Pete's defense, the horse he liked, RDD, Land of Fash Dash, was shut off, and as the treble line said, no shot. All right, that's a look at national news and what happened last week. Looking forward to this next portion of the show. We're going to get a chance to talk to one of the top trainers in the country, none other than William Buff Bradley. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And back with me, one of the true gentlemen of the game, Bill Buff 
Bradley, born and raised in Frankfort, Kentucky, began working at age 10 on his father's farm, did everything like foaling mares, prepping mares for the breeding shed, sales prep, breaking, training, galloping layups, a uh, little bit of everything. But uh, Dad did make sure he went to school, and he did graduate from Kentucky State University with a degree in business management. But uh, for the Bradleys, it's really it's it's been a a, a family affair down there, and uh, we we've got another generation coming up. But uh, the the generation uh, before Buff, uh, Buff, uh, just to start the show out, I know that you have nothing but fond memories. But I want to give you sincere condolences on the passing of your father, uh, Fred. Well, thank you, John. Um, you know, it's uh, it has been a little tough month, but uh, you know, I look back on on my relationship with my father and, and we had such a good one as we were able to, as you said, work the farm and do everything on the farm. We even raised tobacco, put in our own hay. We, me and my father, we put in all the fencing and with the help of my brother and sister. And so we were, we've done, you know, we did everything on the farm, but uh, I think um, I've just been, you know, even with his passing, I look back and look at maybe the last 10 years of his quality life, and, you know, he was able to experience Brass Hat and Groupie Doll, and I think uh, we shared that together, and it uh, it really, I, that was very special to me and something that I will never forget. So, um, you know, I feel like that uh, he got to live his dream, too. So I, I feel comfortable with knowing that. Well, you know... I'm not. I'm not kidding. I, I did research, and after reading about uh, Fred's life, I mean, they should make a Hollywood movie about this guy. He was an amazing man, a lawyer, an Air Force fighter pilot. Served in Vietnam, a uh, brigadier general in the Kentucky Air National Guard, a uh, Franklin County judge. He opened up a, a pizza place. Uh, then he he started uh, Indian Ridge Farm, and then w- with relatively humble breeding, uh, raised some outstanding horses at your farm. I mean, th- this guy was a superstar. Yeah, he went uh, he went 90 miles an hour all the time and, and always into something. And I, I will say that, I mean, he loved, he loved flying in the Air National Guard. He loved the jets. He loved going fast. But uh, I know the horses were his main thing. Uh, he did a lot of the things in his life to support his horse habit and being able to have a farm and, and uh, uh, raise his own horses. Well, obviously, uh, he passed not only a fantastic work ethic, but a, a love and understanding of the game uh, onto, onto his son, Buff. So pretty much you have covered every aspect of the horse industry before eventually branching out and becoming a trainer on your own. Yeah, I, I have done everything that you could do on the farm and doing the sales, and uh, we, we've done quite a bit of breeding and foaling and and still do a little bit of that, but we've really um, cut that way back and and trying to do less and less of that every year, and especially since I, uh, my father was a big part of of helping with the uh, the foaling, and so we've really cut back on that. Well, obviously, uh, because of your success at the races, I see that you're you're, you're picking up uh, outside people, so you don't have to uh, raise and race them all yourself. But let's 
Let's rewind a little bit here because uh, he's still making headlines, but for a different reason. Uh, what was it like uh, watching the, shall we say, modestly bred brass hat turn into the horse that he did? Well, you know, that was our, our first big horse that, w- that we got to take places. And, um, you know, I, we got to travel all over the country with him, and, and uh, we had a great time campaigning him and there was never any pressure you know my father said just do whatever you want to do and we'd uh we'd after each race we'd sit down and have a couple coronas and figure out where the next race was going to be after that so it wasn't uh um anything that uh, we could do some off the wall things with him and take him a couple different places and as soon as he'd run i'd take him home and turn him right out and in the field, and so he, every time he saw the starting gate later in his career, he knew that he was going to get to go home and eat grass on the farm. So I, I also credit him as um, training Groupie Doll for a while. When he came back, he was retired, and when Groupie Doll wasn't doing very well in her in in the second year, and I, I'd taken her back to Florida, she had already won the Breeders' Cup. We had taken her back to Florida, and Oh, a few weeks down there, I thought, well, she's just not 100%. She's not right. So I sent her back to Kentucky on the farm for the winter and just kicked her out with Brass Hat. And um, I knew that we, we could see him from the house running the paddocks, and Brass Hat would, he would cut the corner on her and get in front of her, and he'd make her run around him and get fit. And uh, My wife and I would go down there. We'd see a big dust bowl. We'd go down there and <laughs> They'd probably be running 15 minutes, and we'd have to cool out Groupie Doll. I mean, she'd be blowing and sweating, and brass wouldn't blow out a match. And I think I, I said, told my wife, I said, well, you know, we should probably take him back to the track. <laughs> she said, no, you're <laughs> taking this filly and get her out of here now before she gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so he got her fit. Yeah, he'll have to take some of the uh, the, the, the training credit there. Uh, right. But uh, it, he's kind of, uh, you know, can continued to be a, a story himself in the, in the fact that, uh, as, as I believe he's 15 now, and, uh, you know, we talked uh, a little bit earlier on the show about the Thoroughbred After Care Alliance, and I know you as a uh, member of uh, the Kentucky Board uh, have concern for that, and Ellis Park is putting on a great program this week, but uh, he has found a second career, and I believe it's a family affair. Yeah, he's... Um well, we've always been able to ride him after the uh, after we retired him. I mean, he's he's held many jobs here on the Indian Ridge Farm. He he's taken care of the weanlings when we weaned the babies. He would go out in the field, and it, and it was kind of amazing to see him. You know, the the babies would lay down, and they'd all be around in a little circle, and he'd be standing right over top of them like he was watching over them. So that was pretty neat. But um, now he's. Um, my 12-year-old daughter has been riding him in the arena, and we have an arena here on the farm and for retraining thoroughbreds. But um, So she's been doing that with him, and she's ridden him quite a bit. Uh, the first show he we went to, she took him to, and um, in the practice warm-up, uh, he ran off with her in the arena. So, so um, <laughs> our hearts were pumping a little bit, but everything turned out all right there. She got him stopped, and... Uh, ended up having to put one of my uh, assistants, Chelsea Moisey, on him in that for that show because he was just too aggressive. He was great on the farm, but when he got to the show and saw the people and the grandstands and everything, I think he he thought, "Oh, he's back at the races." <laughs> but um, 
and he did all right in that show. And in his second show, he won out of, I believe, 26 horses in the two front, uh, jumping two feet rails. So um, we were really happy that he was able to do that. But Chelsea jumped him then. And my daughter is still rides him at the farm, but she said she's going to give it another year before she gets back on him because he is a little, he can get a little strong even in the arena. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we, we had a, a horse show at the track one time, and I was with a police officer that was on a mounted patrol, and it was uh, an ex-thoroughbred. And, you know, of course, they're cool, calm, and collected. They go through all kinds of training. But let me tell you, he saw that starting gate and the bell went off. It was like a mm-hmm. Vietnam flashback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he almost took off. So I can understand him uh, getting on the muscle with your daughter. Well, um, one question I've got to ask you, you how, how do you explain your success with those modestly bred homebreds? I guess I'm just damn lucky. Um, <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, we, you know, my father and I would, you know, we picked out horses early on at the sales and then, and, and always tried to upgrade uh, the, the mares. And then we went to, um, we went to stallions that we felt that were good value, that were for race racing and maybe not commercial but for what we would need from a racehorse so we would look over them and i would go look at them uh susie oldham helped me obtain this season for um prized uh that year for brass hat so the mating of brass hat so you know i think you know we we you know you're always supposed to breed the best to the best and hope for the best well we're breeding the best to the best of what we can afford and hoping right. for the best. Um, I, you know, we, I know my father and I felt fortunate, and we knew that Brass Hat was once-in-a-lifetime horse for us. And um, we knew that until Grippy Doll came along, and then we got lucky twice. And we know this, and we are very re- realistic about it and don't think that we have this game won. We know that it's a tough um it's tough to get those kind of horses and then to keep them and, and to be able to cam- campaign them for a, a great amount of time. So, you know, it, it seems like everything in the world can always go wrong when you're racing. And, um, you know, you have to have the brakes in racing, but we were, we've been very fortunate to have those kind of horses. And um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is we've, we do give them plenty of time uh, to get to the races. And then if they have, have ever had a problem, then, you know, they can go back to the farm. I think the farm has probably made me a better trainer knowing that I've, I can send them to the farm. And even now when owners send me horses, I can say, well, send them back to your farm for a little bit. I want them back, but he does need the time or she needs the time to mature a little bit more, get over some nagging, um, nagging injuries or whatever it might be. So I think that uh, I think that's where a lot of that comes in, and and I may have had better horses in my stable before, but I don't know. Maybe they've had a problem or haven't been able to channel their energy to be a great racehorse. And I think that most of what we try to do is is to have a horse and uh, at the racetrack and and teach them. It's not all about the fitness, but you have to teach them to relax and and run when they should run and and know that they're racehorses. Well, uh, the the chapter continues now uh, because uh, of, of a female family that you uh, bought many years ago. Uh, the, uh, the the third dam of uh, the, the player 
was one that you picked out, and people are saying the player. Who's the player? Well, we're going to find out who the player is, hopefully, on Saturday. But uh, I, I said at the top of the show that uh, he is quite the character, and I'm not sure how you can get the photos out there that Jenny Reese sent me, but he's the, he does stuff I've never seen a horse do. I've never seen a horse let people just sit on him while he's lying down, your children, and then the way that he sits in a stall, it's like a cartoon character. Yeah, he's a, he is a character in what a personality he has, and, and that's been from day one. I mean, we've probably got a thousand stories to tell you on that, and, and I can remember, I mean, him just being a couple weeks old, and he'd be lying in a stall, and my kids would go in there and sit on his back and just kind of mess with him and play with him. And uh, my wife would be taking his, his mother out to go outside to the pasture, and he would just lie there and not get up, and she'd be hollering and jerking him around and, and um, you know, we're trying to get him up, and he just took his time about it. He wasn't even worried, even at two weeks old, whether his mother went out and went out to the pasture without him. <laughs> so he's he's pretty funny that way, and he's always, you know, I'd, I'd mow the field, and he would chase me around on the mower, and I'd have to get people to help me get out of the pasture because he was, I thought he was going to climb on top of the tractor with me. And... Um, <laughs> He'd take his bucket around, his feed bucket from out in the field, and chase you around with the feed tub like feed me. <laughs> so he was kind of, uh, it was funny that way. But they, you know, all the, you know, the kids, all three of my children have know him well and have been around him his whole life and uh, have helped raise him and take care of him and lead him in and out to the pasture. And, uh, yeah, and he'll, he'll sit in his stall in the mornings, usually early mornings, he'll sit in his stall for a few minutes and, and he won't sit for a long time, but you can catch him there for a couple minutes. And I don't know if he's stretching or he just feels like sitting there. But we catch pictures of him, and the groom tells me every morning when he comes in to feed, he might just be sitting there waiting for him to <laughs> feed him, sitting on his haunches. So it, he is pretty funny that way. Well, uh, what's kind of neat is that uh, I've taken a look at his past performances. Uh, he's a horse that they, they, they brought her along uh, beautifully, only made one start as a two-year-old, and really seems to have grown into himself, uh, has gotten faster every race, uh, comes in to the half-a-million-dollar Indiana Derby off a solid mile effort, back-to-back wins with Sean Bridge-Mahan up. Uh, how do you feel going in this race, and uh, particularly how do you feel personally in the fact that your dad had a hand in the breeding of the player? Yeah, I think this is, is one of the last ones that um, he did. So, I, yeah, it's, it's special to us, and people always wonder, why don't you sell and you can't be sentimental in in these situations, and this is a business. And I said, well... I, I normally we raise these horses and, and we're not trying to sell them. You know, later on when you have to sell them, I was about forced to sell Grippy Doll. Her value was so much. And for me, you know, I had to at that point. But before then, um, you know, we, we bred, them, bred them to race them. And if we had to sell them later, then we have to sell them. But uh, for this guy, you know, he is a little bit sentimental that way. And and the whole family loves him, so he's kind of uh, he's kind of our pet as well. But it's a good thing he's a fast pet, or he'd be gone. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, you know he's doing he's doing really well going into this race. 
Well, I, I saw that he was awful fast on the 4th of July. He got a bullet work, uh, five furlongs in the mud. Again, the Indiana Derby, we'll be talking to uh, national handicapping champion Michael Bychek coming up, and it'll be really interesting to see where he fits because you got all kinds of different horses in here. Any one of them could jump up, and I'll tell you what, in my corner, I'm going to be pulling for the player, Buff Bradley. Well, I appreciate it. I hope you picked a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I should probably pick somebody else the way my luck goes sometimes. But, hey, Buff, thanks a million for taking the, the, the time out of your schedule. And I, I wish you nothing but the best with all of your horses and continued success for Brass Hat and the show ring. And we'll be watching uh, the, the player on Saturday and, and down the road. You're one of the best guys in racing I know. Well, thank you so much, John, for having me on. All right, we've been talking with Buff Bradley. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, Michael Bychek taking a break from his uh, political uh, stormings, and uh, we're going to be doing some handicapping here on Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with us, the million-dollar man. That's right, Michael Baychak is back with us. I really appreciate his time. Of course, in 2012, he won the $1 million first-place prize and the title of 2012 Daily Racing Forum NTRA Champion Handicapper of the Year. Uh, just a fantastic story considering... Uh, uh, how he just nosed out the competition and years down the road uh, went back and claimed Glorious Dancer, the horse that won it for him uh, for uh, 62 50 
and uh, that that in itself is a class act. Well, that was 2012. Uh, Michael still knows how to handicap a little bit, and uh, he just played his way into the big uh, Saratoga contest, uh, the tournament that will take place up there. So if nothing else, he knows he's going to be spending some time under the ancient elms. Also, I do believe that uh, he captured the pick five at Santa Anita last week. Am I right about that, Michael? That's right. It was a hell of a day. I'll bet you get you get to the contest and uh, you got a l- little bit of play money for when you go to Saratoga. Now, I trust you've been to the spa before, correct? I have been there uh, three times, uh, memorable times. Once my father took me when I was probably in my teens. Um, so, geez, I'm thinking, you know, late 70s, 80s, something like that. Um, and uh, we went up there for a couple of days. I remember distinctly the box next to us was um, Cab Calloway, and uh, he was just coming off of uh, the movie Blues Brothers. So, I mean, he oh, was like really? a superstar, and I mean, that was like our favorite movie, and man, I thought that was like, that was, <laughs> to me, seeing Cab sitting there for a couple of days betting the races with Cab Calloway was just, that was just classic. And then I didn't really go back until like three or four years ago to the to the contest, and um, I, I, I moneyed in the contest i missed a year and then i moneyed last year so i'm gonna just say i'm I'm, it looks like i'm kind of a horse for course at saratoga um but i do i do love it i just i think it's heaven on earth for not only horse horses but horse players too well it's funny i'll I'll share a similar experience with you um that river downs where i worked right next to us we have a, a concert venue called riverbend and cab calloway was playing with the symphony over there well, I get a call that afternoon from the guy that runs Riverbend, and he said, Hey, John, uh, could you do a favor for me? I said, Yeah, well, what, what do you need? He said, uh, I'm sending a friend over to the clubhouse. Would you mind spending the afternoon with him? And I thought, Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. He said, I said, Who is it? He said, Cab Calloway. <laughs> I'll meet him at the front door. So I went over there. And we had lunch, and let me tell you, Cab Calloway, Bet with both hands that day. I oh, did don't he, know what, did he, was he a, Yeah, I, I couldn't really tell, but he, he loved the races. I, I do. I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and he was such a pleasure to be with. And I said, you know, we just had a, we didn't have a stakes race. We just had a feature race. I said, you know, Mr. Calloway, would you mind? He, oh, I'd be happy to come down there. So he came down. We found a trophy in a closet somewhere and <laughs> gave it to whoever won the allowance race that day. But oh, he was a pleasure to be around. I, I think he lived like just within miles of Belmont Park. So Is that uh, right. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. He was he was a, a player. Well, well, so were you. And I, I found it kind of interesting. One of the recent stories uh, I read about you, I believe it was about the last handicapping contest, that you don't inundate yourself with twelve hours of handicapping. Uh, you know, I, I I think sometimes you get to points where you can overthink handicapping. Well, you know, this is that's true, and this is not um, you know advice for other people because you know they're different strokes for different folks, but I've found, you know, through trying to figure out what, when I am successful, what I do to be successful, and one of the things that I've found is, you know, I'm not a person that really uh, has a middle ground of time handicapping, so, and for me, it's like, if I get more than maybe two hours on a card, I, I tend to get lazy. And, and make bad choices and decisions. And But preparing for, like, the NHC, you know, I'll take 
small doses of two hours, three, you know, for the couple of weeks before looking at tracks and trends and biases. But then for the races, you know, when they actually come out, I'll try to, you know, spend just a little bit of time on each race um, and just and try to go with the first instinct or my first choice because I've learned just this is me now, you know, finding the, the a balance between what is your, you know, your first choice and your instinct is better for me than overanalyzing a race, um, you know, spending an hour on a race is that to me is um, I'm going to make the wrong choice more than I'm going to make a, you know, a right choice. So that's just for me. That would, that's what works for me. And then look, I mean, you've been around it a long time. I recommend to some people, Hey, give it a shot, take a card and say, all right, set a clock and I'm going to spend 30 minutes on the, on 10 races. And I will, I will guarantee you that you will find things that you know that you might not have seen before, but that your your performance is going to be all, as good or better than if you spent you know three hours on the car, uh, because it, that's just that's the theory of you know of of Malcolm Gladwell's theory of blink, and that and that we have enough information in our brain to to make these quick decisions based on what is presented to us initially, and that's kind of you know that's kind of the theory that I that I. Go go on, um, and look, it, it it works for me, but it may not work for everybody. You know, in, in similar fashion, one time I had uh, uh, author and you recognize handicapper Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum on the show, and I asked him a sim- similar question, and he said, "What he'll do is, you know, he'll sit down at the kitchen table, maybe go over three races, and then he'll go in the backyard and throw the baseball with his kid for a while." Right. And, that, right, and then he'll come back, you know, um, look at a couple more and have dinner. And he says mentally, you know, that way every time you come back to it, your mind's fresh, your mind's clear, yeah. you know. And I, and I found for sure, and I've tried to remedy this, but for sure, going, let's say, through a card, for instance, the Saturday card in the contest for Saratoga, I hit the first four races. Um, and, and But I I've, I've know that my history... I do much better in the beginning of the card than I do at the end. So that's a great. I'm going to steal that from Watchmaker because he's very successful, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, handicap three or four races, take a good break, and then come back and do it again, or handicap the next set, you know. Because that's just for me. Again, I just think that my brain. I get a little lazy. Um, brain gets a little tired. And you don't make the right decisions. So that, that's a great tip for, for somebody that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use on Saturday in, in looking at the races. Well, um, uh, speaking of which, since uh, you handicap really good out of the gate, I'm going to throw to you what I think is one of the biggest challenges of handicapping this weekend. And that is the yellow ribbon handicap, uh, the grade two. Of course, Del Mar uh, opens its gates uh, tomorrow. But this race, I'm looking at it, Michael, and there are so many different angles that factor into it. You've got the, the one-two finishers of, of last year. Uh, you've got horses that have changed trainers and haven't been successful. Uh, you've got uh, a horse that was, you know, 
a sprinter that's going to try to go long, but ran third to champion beholder last time out. I mean, I, I could go on, but I don't want to. I, I, I want to hear your, your input on the yellow ribbon handicap. I have no odds in front of me whatsoever, but all I can say is I can make a case for at least half the field. It's a very, very contentious, uh, exactly. It's a very contentious field. Almost any of them can win. I will tell you that I used the blank method when I looked at this race earlier today. So take that with a grain of salt, you uh, punters out there. Uh, but I landed on um, prize exhibit. Um, I don't think there's a lot of early speed. You did mention, you know, her eminency likes to go to the front a little bit, and there was a sprinter that's going to the front. Um, probably, I think, that was written. Yeah, Finest City looks like she probably wants to go to the lead. But I think I like the race. Third off a layoff by prize exhibit, and I think that was one of the horses you mentioned. I think she ran second in this in the yellow ribbon last year, so she liked yes. the course. Um, you know, and Cassidy usually doesn't ship out, and he shipped to Belmont, so he must have thought the horse, uh, you know, deserved to, to run in the grade one just a game. And in all truthfulness, the race, she ran a really good race. Um, so she got a big number. Um, and, you know, she's not facing those type of horses here. She does have to improve, but she'll be a big price. And so that, that would be that, you know, if I'm playing a contest, that's a, this is a clear contest horse because the odds are going to be perfect, you know, really fat. And, um, and, but I think, you know, if I'm playing the race on Saturday, I'm probably going to use this horse a little bit because, um, you know, she, she likes the track. And I think the, the setup might, might be right for her today or Saturday. Well, we're talking with national handicapping champion Michael Baychak. And, Michael, the horse that kind of drew my eye and kind of left me scratching my head was her eminency. Uh, when she was trained by Michael Stidham, uh, just had a stellar record. Uh, she is a horse that uh, should be able to get the distance. Uh, she's won at a mile and an eighth. This is a mile and a sixteenth. She used to come back good after layoffs, has changed trainers to Kristen Mulhall, and has not won a race since. What do you make of her eminency? She definitely was better under Stidham. And, you know, um, you know, I mean, some trainers just know some things about horses that they may not, or they may communicate to the new trainer, but that new trainer may not, you know, ad- adopt. And that looks to me, you know, I don't like this type of form where the horse was running much better before they switched over to another trainer. And I'm not saying Kristen Mohall is a bad trainer. She's not at all. She's got a great, you know, percentage. She doesn't get a lot of opportunities. But I, I want this horse to prove it to me before, you know, that she can come back and run like she was running last year before I place my money on her. And she's probably, you know, she might not be the, you know, she's going to be a lower price than I would want to take um, on a day that she needs to prove it to me. Well, I hope our uh, listeners to take a look at the yellow ribbon because there is going to be a value, as everybody likes to say, no doubt. in that race because of so many horses. Well, you know, I just got off the phone with, uh, with Buff Bradley, and uh, so we'll switch gears here to the Indiana Derby because here's another case, uh, Michael Baychak, of a, a, a race that just has horses coming from every angle. You've got some lightly raced horses that uh, seem to be getting better with every start, and then you have horses that have danced the big dance like Cherry Wine and, and Cupid. 
it, it, it's a very interesting cast of characters, and the one that kind of drew my attention, who seems to be an up-and-comer, is this outside horse, a Calumet farm horse, called yeah. Star Hill. Yeah. I noticed that Corey Landry was the regular rider at Cherry Wine, but he's ridden this horse last two starts for, for George Arnold, and I wonder, this horse is eligible for non-winners at two, but Arnold's killing him at Indiana. He's, he's winning at a 44% clip. And I wonder, do you think Corey Lannery is the, is the key here? Do you think he felt something? This is another horse that just improved buyers race after race. Yeah, I've been a fan of this one for, when I bet on this one I know in the Tampa Bay Derby. And um, didn't really, you know, disgrace himself running behind Destin, who came back and lost by a dirty nose in the... Uh, Belmont, um, and then his run, you know, ran a nice race in the bluegrass, um, and then also ran behind Fish Trap Road in a race that's probably too short uh, for his best uh, distance. But Fish Trap Road came back and, and won uh, again, or, or yeah. won last week in New so, York. Um, the, the unfortunate thing about this horse is, if you look at the post positions this this horse has drawn in its last three races, he doesn't get a break. I mean, 12, 13, and 13, but he, you know, running uh, uh, third and, and behind um, in the Pat Day Mile from the 13 hole is pretty, is a damn good performance. Uh, he's run against horses that have come back to win, as I said. I would really like this horse if he was in the five or six hole. You know, I just see, I see this horse running second or third again, but I think, you know, when this horse gets the the post position draw that will favor him, uh, he's going to bust in the winner's circle at a, probably a nice price, but he did not get any break at all, you know, with the post position draw here, at, you know, unfortunately. Well, I, I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the two question mark horses there are the ones that were drawn headlines earlier in the year, and that would be Cupid and Cherry Wine. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much, I was against Cupid, you know, uh, in his last race. I'm against him in the Arkansas Derby. I'm just not, again, I think short price. He's going to have to prove it to me. Baffert can certainly train a winner. Uh, Cherry Wine, I, I do, you know, I think he also has been running against some nice horses. He got he drew very, very well, uh, drops a lot of weight, um, certainly can, can win. It's going to be coming from way back. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure the track helps that. You know, the, the, the horse that I really like a lot, I mean, a lot, is the horse that's trained by your previous guest. I mean, I love the player in here. I just think this is a horse that is improving, um, has tactical speed, uh, has beaten, you know, some okay horses. I mean, you know, not, not the, the ones that, that the other ones have run against, but he's beaten whoever they brought to him. Um, I just think he's going to be able to kind of control his own uh, destiny here, get a really nice trip, and also, you know, probably be a nice price. I'm thinking, I'm hoping, five to one, six to one, something like that. And I just think, you know, that um, he he just looks like he's going to set a really nice trip here and and get first jump on the on the leaders, and then have horses like Star Hill and uh, Cherry Wine trying to chase him down down the stretch. So that's my pick, and that's my. You know, strong pick, and I, I, I hope Buff Bradley and I are together on this. But I'm I'm going to be betting uh, the player for sure. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, it, the the only if I call it a poor race, he only lost by five and a half lengths, was his uh, only race as a two year old, and the horses by the name of Tom's Ready and 
forevermore were in yeah. that race who have both right. gone on to become great at the stakes winners. So uh, that not bad company uh, for for your your debut. Yeah, well, and you know, we, I mean, Buff, I, I mean, his his you know his. Um, the way he develops horses, you know, you, you tend to think that they're going to get better as they, as they get more racing under them, you know. Um, so when he gets something as precocious as this horse, you really start to, you, your expectations kind of go up. And this horse could develop into a really nice horse. I, I, I really hope so for the whole uh, Bradley clan. Well, um, while we're uh, at Indiana, let's try to throw another one in there. Uh, it's going to be a great card. Uh, they've got the Oaks. The field isn't as big as the Derby. Uh, an interesting group. Uh, my eye after handicapping was drawn to a horse by the name of Family Tree uh, because of its uh, consistent speed figures. And I noticed that uh, since they added uh, blinkers to this filly, uh, she's had uh, a really uh, successful run. I mean, there's no doubt Family Tree is the horse to beat. Deserving favorite, hard to bet against, um, but I don't really like betting favorites. Um, so uh, I thought the interesting long shot horse, um, maybe if you're looking to hook up, is this Minds and Magic, uh, another horse that um, you know has run against some some okay horses, but has looks like he she had a really nice big race running second. Um, at Keeneland, and it might have taken a little bit out of her because her next two, just on my figures, were not quite as good. But this could be the the payoff race, third off, you know, a little bitty short layoff, um, and and you know the odds are going to be right. And again, I think she'll be able to sit, you know, what should be a really good trip. And also, you know, this is a horse that with extra distance, um, you know, the mile and a sixteenth is not you know a longer race, but. She certainly will will excel even going longer. You know, tomorrow, I mean, Saturday might not be her best distance. She might be wanting to go even longer, but the price is going to be right to find out, you know, whether she's she's got the quality of, say, a family tree. Um, but the rest of the horses, you know, I don't know that the race came up that tough. So it's not, it's not you know, a race that she she wouldn't be facing some of these horses also in a non-winners of three or something or an optional claimer. So, you know, she finds a good spot to, to test to see whether she's of the quality. Well, uh, we've got about two minutes to talk about the Grade 1 Delaware Handicap, $750,000. Is this I'm a chatterbox's race to lose? Sure, of course. I mean, no doubt. I mean, this is Larry Jones. His tra- I mean, you know, he, lo- he wins a lot of races here, um, and, and it's definitely, you know, her race to lose. She ran huge last time out, which, you know, might not be a good thing. You know, I mean, that was a career, pretty much a career best race. I'm not a fan of horses running big races right off of layoffs, uh, especially fillies. But so, you know, for me, it's an easy call not to not to play her because she's going to be really uh, short price. But, you know, that being said, it, she certainly is the deserving favorite. I'm a big fan and have made a little bit of money on paid-up subscriber. Al Stahl, you know, has done a really good job of taking his time with this one. She's a four-year-old now. Um, ran a huge race first time going around two turns, which I always thought that she would really love two turns, and I cast out nice in her last race. She has not really faced horses of anything of the caliber that Chatterbox has, but I do think that the mile and a quarter – is going to be absolutely no problem at all for her. And, you know, unfortunately, she's going to be a short price, too. 
Um, but I think, you know, if you can get five to two, three to one, I, it's definitely worth a shot for me. Uh, that'll be the horse. If I was playing in a contest, the horse that I would, uh, that I would play. Well, yeah, hey, you know, the mile and a quarter, Candy Ride, I mean, that he still holds the track record at Del Mar for a mile and a quarter. So, uh, <laughs> right. you know, she, she, she's got a bread into her, and I just think she's, my notes are that, you know, she's got the pedigree, and she's on the improve. She ran her, 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 her best time uh, in, in her last race, and, you know, the, the future's ahead of paid-up subscribers. So it will be interesting. I wouldn't put a ring around on my chatterbox just yet. But I will put a ring around Michael Baychak because he's one of my favorite guests, and I'll be rooting for you up at Saratoga. I'm happy you hit, you hit the pick five, and if you ever feel like you've got too much money, I'll send you my address. <laughs> That'll never be a problem, but never be a problem. You never have too much money. You can never hit too many winners. <laughs> well, you're in the racing game, so it's always good to have a good bankroll. Michael, thanks so much for joining us tonight on Winning Ponies. Thank you, John. I really enjoy it. Thanks a lot. And I enjoyed it, too. The guy is really engaging, and he's one heck of a handicapper. And, again, he likes to give you those price horses. I want to also thank uh, Buff Bradley for uh, appearing on the show this evening. And I think it's great that Michael Bachak picked the player for the Indiana Derby. So pull down your easy win form, see what pops up on those at Winning Ponies. I'm your host, John Engelhardt, and I'm looking over manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, and I want to remind you all, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.